0: I heard there were some some amazing things that happened this weekend um, in the area. There was a there was a oh did you know what I was talking about? Yeah. So it's a women's retreat, but, and I, I heard it was awesome. But I, I also heard that all the restaurants in the area filled up because of all the dads that are taking their kids to, out to eat. So that, that was miracle number one also heard uh, and I, I, t- I was told that I could share this if Noreen's in the, in the house is Noreen here is she right here I heard that there was a miracle that happened on the way to w- women's retreat <laughs> She was so excited about coming to the women's retreat you know how when you get excited when you're driving sometimes you go a little bit faster than you think you should be going and on her way to the women's retreat she got pulled over by a police officer. But, you know, I'm so thankful for Noreen because she was authentic and honest to the police officer. She said, police officer, I am just so excited about getting to this women's retreat that I have at my church. Uh, I I just found that I was speeding. He said, well, I'm a believer. (laughs) And so they got to talk about church, and then I think they were praying on the side of the road. So, you know, if you ever get stopped by a police officer, just tell him you're going to church. (laughs) Things okay. I'm not prescribing that. I just want you to know that miracles do happen. It's awesome. We had a great time last week. If you were not, if you were not with us last week, we um, had a guest speaker, Prashan and his wife were here. They live locally. Uh, she, his wife is finishing up her her schooling at Gordon College. He's also a Gordon College grad. But they're originally from Sri Lanka. And for those of you who are with us, um, and for those of you who weren't. Uh, you missed a great message uh, in which um, Prashan uh, spoke of being uh, from one of the smallest countries in the world, uh, from one of the, the smaller people groups within his country of Sri Lanka, and then also um, representing a demographic of, of minority believers, Christians in the country. So he said, I'm the, the least of the least of these. Um, but as he shared, he, he shared testimony of how God has allowed him to be an agent of unity and peace, not only in his own country, but here in local uh, governments, cities, and churches in the area. He was just, just come back from Ferguson, Missouri, where he played, was play, is playing a role of bringing reconciliation in that divided town. Um, and he would attest his, his grace on his life uh, to the work of Jesus Christ in his life. And what Christ was able to do in and through him and his family and what the lessons that he learned, um, he was able to share ...with others, including us, and he led us to a passage of scripture in John 17, if you remember, John 17, 21 through 23, where Jesus was praying with his disciples before his crucifixion, in this last conversation he had with his disciples, he prayed for them, and he in turn prayed for us as believers, and he said, I am in them, he's talking to the Father... And you are in me, Father. May they, the church, his disciples, the church, experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. And so he talked about unity. And and three things that he said about unity. And the reason I share this recap is because we're in the middle of a series. If you've noticed, well, there it is. Look. And you wonder, why do we keep on looking at this lake and these mountains? We just thought that was a nice thing to look at. Um, But what we are in the middle of is a few months of looking um, at who we are as a church and looking at who God is and saying, God, who do you want us to be? And what do you want us to do? And we're going to end this season of looking, this envisioning time, by joining together um, in groups of twos and threes and smaller groups and sharing with one another as we observe the world around us, God, what are you calling us to locally as a church? So that will be the end of our journey. But before we get to looking out here, we want to look back, which is what we did a couple of weeks ago. And now we want to look in. Who are we? Who are we? What what makes us distinctive as people so that we then have something to share and offer with the world around us? So back to Prashan. He started off this looking in series by talking to us and sharing with us that the greatest desire or joy of Jesus, the last prayer, the most important prayer that he prayed, was that we would be one. That we would walk in unity as the Father and Son and Holy Spirit in heaven walk in unity. And that through this unbelievable unity, the world would recognize who God is. So when we actually walk in oneness, God is revealed. We left the church service. There was an incredible response to uh, the message. And we left the church service and had faith group later that night. And, And the the, the, the encouragement and the excitement about God. What does it look like to be a church with people from multiple nations? If you remember a few months ago, we had the flags of the nations that are represented in our church on the walls. And it filled this whole sanctuary with representation of the nations. What does it look like for us to not just be a people from all over the world? What does it look like for us not to just be a people that are poor and all the way up to wealthy? What does it look like for us to be a people who some of us are more educated than others? What does it look like for us to be from uh, a variety of backgrounds, from sufferings and painful situations to joyful and wonderful accomplishments? What does it look like for us to bring the giftings and and the experiences that we possess as people and actually walk in unity in such a way, in such a distinct way, that it makes people not only go, "Wow, you guys are really, really uh, love one another," but God must be real, because that's what the Scripture says, right? Isn't that what Jesus says? May they love one another. May they be walking and walking with one another in such a way in unity that the world knows that I'm alive. And the, one of the one of the key things that Prashant said, or one of the phrases that he said, and it'll move us on to our message this morning, is that he said. Um, uh, We are not to give up on family. You remember that little part in the message, for those of you who are here remember, he talked about uh, unity is not a selfish, it's not a selfish unity. Unity is not achieved when we are selfish. It can't be self-focused. It can't be about what I get out of this experience. It can't be about what I get out of this church. It can't be about what I get from you. He he went on to say, "As as a result of that consumerism, Nature to church and society, people come and go based on what they're getting from church. Well, this, that, or the other is not good enough in the church, so I'm going to move on because I'm going to find a better place to find church. When reality, when we are not selfish but selfless and self other, I mean, others focused, we actually build a community that people want to be a part of. But he said, that's not the goal either. The goal is not for us just to be others-focused or to be we-focused. Because if we focus just on being a community, and it's not focused around something that is a creator of community, namely Christ himself, then that implodes as well. Many of us have been involved in very wonderful, what seem to be selfless or self—I mean, ser- service-oriented groups, but apart from Christ being the center pole, apart from Christ being the truth and the revelation, Opinions, positions, disagreements, likes, dislikes start to surface. And over time, the very nature of us bringing everything together is a thing that pushes us apart. But he said at the end of his message that it's not just uh, that we have to be selfless and that we are not completely focused on the community, but we have to be focused on Christ in the center. That Christ alone is the one that brings us together in a place of true community and true unity. But we cannot forsake, he said, family. We don't give up on family. Ephesians 2.19 says this, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. This whole passage in Ephesians is talking about how Christ brought Jews and Gentiles together, that that division that was established through the law has now been broken down by the work of Christ, so that you are now citizens along with all of God's holy people, you're what? You're members of God's family. This is family. This is family not centered around what we can do for you or what you can do for me. This is family not centered around this ideal of, wow, wouldn't it be cool for us to have this great community in Waltham? This is community or family centered around Jesus, centered around what Jesus has done for us. So how does this family, this church become one? The foundation value of church is love. Is Christ-centered, Christ displayed, genuine, authentic love. Listen to the words of God. John 13, 35: A new command I give to you: love one another, as I've loved you, so you must love one another. John 15. Verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. This is my command, love each other. 1 John 4, 10 through 12, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and what? His love is made complete in us. In that passage of Scripture alone, verses 10 through 12 in 1 John, seven times love is mentioned. I think it's kind of important. It's important for us to understand who God is in the context of love, and it's important for us to understand how love transforms us and how it is. What did it say at the end of that passage of Scripture? Is made complete in who? In who? In me? In us. We find that we think that the expression in its fullest form of love is found when we fully experience it ourselves personally. When we find it, when we create it, when we experience it for ourselves. But this passage of Scripture in the Bible, the New Testament, if we continue to look at more and more passages, which we won't, describes love as having its fullest expression when it's expressed through us. Through us. And why is that? There are words attached to love. There are feelings attached to love. There are experiences attached to love. But the fullest expression of love is this aspect of unity uh, this aspect aspect of authentic relating to one another—that's called love—that's expressed through us in the church. And how do we do this? We love, as you go on down in the first John, that same that same chapter in verse verse nineteen. It says, "We love because He first loved us." I love Elizabeth. The phrase that what, what, was it, Shazar? Is that what? Shiraz, Shiraz, that she said, I feel like I'm falling in love. She felt like she was falling in love because Elizabeth and those around her were showing her, revealing to her through words, through deeds, through the collection of the body of Christ. They were showing Shiraz what love really looked like and how it was found first and foremost in Jesus. Christ showed us Love from a selfish, me first love to an others focused, self sacrificing love. Can we just think about Jesus for a second then? If we want to be an authentic, wonderful, loving church, let's just think about Jesus and how he established love. How did he do it? What was he like? What do you remember from reading the Bible? What do we know about Jesus? He hung out with those who were lonely. He healed those who were sick. And he spent, one of the things that's overwhelming to me sometimes when I actually try to put it into real perspective is that sometimes it says he healed the whole town. I've been in places of revival where people want to be healed and prayed for. I can't even imagine the amount of time and energy it took for Jesus to pray for every single person who had an illness or a disease or a concern or a care that they needed healing for which meant he dwells with us in his patient and long-suffering. He listened to those who no one would listen to. How many outcasts hung around Jesus? And how many of those outcasts or those that were not favored by society found acceptance, found healing, found hope, found forgiveness in Christ? As a matter of fact, there are a few outcasts in this room. I am one of them. He spoke truth with love. He didn't speak flattery. He didn't build people up with false praise. He didn't make people feel good so that they would like him. As a matter of fact, oftentimes... People left him because he spoke the truth, but he never spoke the truth out of arrogance or out of trying to destroy the person or the personality. He spoke truth, it says, so that the truth could set people free. He was willing to go there with people because he loved people more than their praise of him. Can I get an amen? This is going to start to hurt. Because we're going to turn this and we're going to look at how we operate with one another. Jesus was authentic in his communication, but without sarcasm, bitterness, divisiveness, anger, criticism, but truthful so that people could be set free. And truth comes in a lot of forms it comes with encouragement, it comes with honesty, it comes with forgiveness. He went where no one else would go. He lived and ate among people. He gave his life 24-7 to people. I remember visiting Sarah Hollingsworth before she was Hollingsworth in Africa. Some of us, I'm looking at others that went with us to visit her. And this wasn't my first time to live overseas, but it was a very, very bright example of what it looks like to live among people because... We never had a moment to ourselves. And the reason we didn't, one was partly because of culture, but partly, too, is because there was love in our home. And it wasn't because we had established it because we had just gotten there. It was because Sarah had established a place of love in her home and a place of acceptance and inviting, and therefore those who had no place to find love found it, and those who needed to be found by love were found. As we would go out and share the love of God through practical means, but also the word of Christ. Jesus lived and ate and lived among the people and went out to the people to share love. And he forgave those people as well, even those who killed him. How crazy is it that Christ on the cross, some of his last words were forgiveness. Forgiveness. Greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. His love freed us from sin and not to sin. His love took away our shame through forgiveness. His love set a new standard of living for us, a new and wonderful way of living. Isn't that awesome? Okay. There's way too much pensive thinking going on right now. Just go stop and say that is awesome. Then you go back to thinking. Okay, go. It's great. Andrew Andrew Murray, uh, a theologian and and one who's very known for his devotional life with God, um, uh, says this uh, in re- in regards to uh, this this concept that when love transforms us. It causes us, as Christ did, to lay down our life for our friends, to lay down our lives for one another. He says, The love of others, the love of others or the love for others, is the flower and the fruit of the root of our unseen love for God. The love of others is the flower and the fruit of the root of our unseen love for God. How we have been loved and received the love of God. How we are, and we're going to talk about this in coming weeks. How we allow God's transformational love to impact us has its flower, has its fruit in loving others in our life. When you see somebody who is really loving others and is not concerned or care cares about what they're going to get in return. And sometimes we, can't, we don't know that, by the way. Only God knows that. How often we serve others selflessly, but we're really wanting to get something in return. But those who really, really don't have that motivation, that the motivation they have is, you're beautiful. You're exceptional because God created you. You have an identity and a design that God has fashioned, and it is unique among any other person in the world. And because God has found me and has shared his love with me, I see it. And not only do I see it, I actually really honor it. And I really want it to be um, loved on. And I want it to be encouraged. And I want it to be empowered. And I want it to be built up. And I want it to be free. And whatever you need, all of a sudden I want you to have it. Because I've experienced that kind of love of God for my life. And I see it. And I want it. That's, That's church. That's family. That's love. At the river, we value these kind of relationships that Jesus has modeled for us, that I'm talking about. We value authentic relationships, not fake, I'm going to praise you just because I want you to like me, not I'm going to do this for you because I'm supposed to do it and it's religious and I can check off you know before the Lord that I was a good person today. No, we're doing authentic relationship that means I love you because I've been forgiven by God. I've been loved by God. I've been loved by others and I want to share that with you. I love you and serve you Because you're you're important, you're awesome in God. I I might even love you and serve you by talking to you truthfully and sharing with you things that are hard for me or that have hurt me or that might help you because that's what Christ does with me. And because he wants that for you, not so that you can be condemned or shamed, but because you can be set free. And we have that kind of relationship where we talk and serve and love one another with authenticity. That we aspire to be genuine and gracious with one another, both inside and outside of the church. This is the kind of love that starts to build a strong family. You know, Honestly, Paul says that the place that that starts, that kind of love doesn't start by us loving people outside of these walls like that. He says we should be doing it in here first. Why? Because when people see it, not that we don't do this out here, but when we are really doing it in here... The world knows. How many of you know that I'm probably my most sinful person at home? You're sinful? Yeah, I am. Some of you are like, yeah, I know. (laughs) Been around you. I am my most, wow, I, gosh, I hope nobody sees this person. In the places in my, in the places where, um, people know me the most, right? Because you see me, right? So at home, probably most of my sin in my life, you could ask my son Isaac and he could describe it to me (laughs) in his words. I'm not bragging about that, by the way. I'm not saying that's awesome. I'm just saying that my family, my immediate family really knows me because they can't get away from me (laughs) even though they want to. And they'll tell you that too. Me around my family, they're pretty authentic about their communication about it. But isn't that how the church should be? I love it when people come to the river or go to another church and they're talking about another church when they come in contact with believers and they're like, wow, you guys are real. You guys aren't trying to hide and put on a show. You're not trying to put, put. you know, you're just being who you are. And I'm not talking about being who you are and being sinful, if, but if we are sinful, we're willing to rebuke one another or correct one another and still live with one another. Or to say, why, that really hurt me, but I love you. That's church. That's Jesus. And we want this kind of love. And it starts in the church, Galatians 6, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap the harvest if we not, do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, To love people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Why? We know from John 17, so that we can reveal his love to others. Okay, last part of my message is this. I'm going to give you a phrase of this kind of love, and we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13 really quick, the love chapter. And we're going to just say, God convict us. Okay? So let's just say this. God convict us. God convict us. Oh, God convict us. Okay, good. <laughs> Did you say me? Oh, please, <laughs> God! Would you please convict Steve? I'm just, kidding. I'm just, because he asked for it. If you sit on the front row, if you say stuff, you get stuff. Okay. Just get found out already. Okay, we are at a war in regards to love, and I want you, I want you to remember. It's going to be three points, war, W-A-R, war. We're at war. We're at a war in our world about what love looks like. You don't just have a value about what love looks like because you woke up one day and this is, you thought this is... There is a war to define for you what love looks like. And in our world, what, the tru- what, what, what counter, counteracts against the, the truth of the gospel... Is a war is a love that is selfish, that is hedonistic, and that is temporary. It's what have you done for me lately kind of love. What have you done for me lately? But God's love is the opposite of all that. It's selfless holy and it's eternal see god is committed to you it says even while you and i were faithless what's it say god's faithful well how many times have you been faithless in the last five minutes i was gonna say the last week and i thought let's just go ahead and get to it how, how many times have you been faithless in the last year, or the last five years, or the last ten years? And let me just say, how many times are you going to be faithless in the next ten years, in the next twenty or thirty years? As one who's getting older, I can tell you that I still struggle with being faithful to God the way that I want to be faithful. But praise the Lord that He is not a shallow, hedonistic, selfish What have you done for me lately, God? But he says in his word that he, because I'm a child of his, he has bought me, he has adopted me into his family, and he has said, you are mine. And he didn't say, Sean, you are mine until you screw up. Because that would have been like ten minutes after he, I was his, I was gone again. <laughs> he said, you are mine, and you are mine Forever. This is the kind of love that he wants to birth in our church so that we are committed to one another, not just because of what you've done for me lately or because you do something really wonderful for me. I love to surround myself with people who tell me how wonderful I am and who think I'm awesome, but that's not what God's called me to do. God's called me to enmesh myself into the body of Christ, whether you do anything for me or not. To love you as Christ loved me. So we're at war. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Convict us, Lord. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love does not pride. Love does not dishonor others. Love is not self seeking. Love is not easily angry. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. Love always perseveres. Love never fails. Love wins the war. War. Words. W stands for words. It's not boastful. It's not rude. It's not patience. It's kind. No angry words. It protects. Proverbs 16, 24 says, pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Hebrews 10 talks about us encouraging one another daily until Christ comes back. Our words have power. Our words have power to build up or to tear down. James talks about that. They're like, it's like a, for, uh, a spark that sets off a forest fire. That's how, the, how powerful the tongue is. So how are you using your words? How are you receiving words? How are you using uh, the tool that God has given to you to build up, to bring healing, to bring hope, to bring encouragement? Or are you using your words and your tongue to tear down, destroy, to belittle, to sow things that God does not want to sow? We've been around people who are always talking about themselves and their accomplishments How does that make you feel when you're around them? We've been around people that pretty much the easiest thing they can do is cut other people down and talk about other people. Not about you because they're talking about other people. Unless you're not around them. Right? How do we use our words to sow into other people's lives what we want sown into ours? Love builds up. Strengthens, encourages if you don't have something good to say, don't say it, is the phrase. I would say, and then think of something good to say. If you don't have something good to say, don't say that, but say something good. Because God does have good things for you to say if you ask him. How many of you have had teachers that have impacted your lives by the words that they've shared with you, the encouragements they've written? There's a whole campaign going on right now for those sports fans out here. Bring All of you non-sport fans, I'll bring you into the world of Peyton Manning, who just retired, excuse me that fellow, who just retired as a quarterback of the NFL. Going to be a Hall of Famer, one of the greatest quarterbacks that's ever going to play the game. And there's a Gatorade commercial that's just been developed, and the commercial is centered around letters that Peyton Manning wrote to different people that they have kept as an encouragement for their life. They show one guy pulling out a framed letter from Peyton Manning and reading it with tears in his eyes. Words from a quarterback. A a mere mortal, a human being, a great sports hero. How much more do you have words from the living God that you can write or speak or call out in somebody that will not only just be something that they can shove in a desk and pull out every once in a while, but actually transforms the way they live and the way they see God. Use your words with love. To change people's lives. Actions. Love is not self-seeking. Verse 5 in 1 Corinthians 13. Or Philippians 2 says this. Each one of you should look not only to your own interest. This is Christ, I mean, talking about what Jesus had done. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Love that is action-oriented for ourselves is is Selfish. Have ever been, uh, uh, how often, I, well, I'll be, be, be real, um, I'll, t- I'll, I'll be insensitive here for a second. Not, that's not really what I'm trying to say. I'm going to talk about a topic that is touching. But sexual sin, sexual sin in our lives, pornography, adultery, premarital sex, these are, this is a love action that is born out of selfishness. Love, the scripture says, in a sexual way is, sex is given to us for marriage, inside of the context of marriage, for life, because we are not asking for somebody to give us something for the moment for ourselves. If it's not good enough, we're going to go to somebody else. Or if it's not quite good enough, I'm going to wait and see if this relationship is good enough for it to be a lifelong commitment. Or we say, before the Lord, if love is selfless, if it is uh, not about what you do for me, but what I do for you, and it's a commitment for a lifetime, then when we say sex, that's that's why in our culture, we're so confused about this specific issue. Because God has said, sex is just another expression of what love should look like. And what love should look like is not about what your needs, about what Primarily about your needs getting met. It's about serving the other. Amen? I'm not sure I can commit yet. Well, then don't be sexually involved with somebody if you're not committed. It's not commitment. That's selfishness. I love you. But you should know that, and so does God. Got really quiet in here. <laughs> Change the topic. Actions are to be ones that are done without a desire for return. How many of you, and you don't have to raise your hand, you don't have to shout it out, but I want you to think about how many times have you been served by somebody where they didn't expect something something in return? Can you just stop for a second and think about this? Hopefully we've all experienced that. What is, what happens in you? What happens in you when that happens to you? Does it discourage you or cause you to compare or all these negative things? Probably not. Probably what it does is what it does in me. It's like, ah, wow. I sure didn't deserve that, but that's awesome. Thank you. And, wow, I really love you. Thank you. You know what I mean? It, it stirs the noble part of us up, doesn't it? It does what God has created us to do. Lastly, responses. And the worship team can go ahead and come on up here. 1 Corinthians 13, it says that we are to be patient. We're not easily angered. We keep no record of wrongs. Luke 6 talks about us praying for our enemies. Prashan talked about that last week as well. Actually praying blessing, speaking blessing, feeling blessing on those who hurt us. Anybody ever been able to get to that place? You don't have to raise your hand. But when you get to that place, is that not an unbelievable place of revelation on what love is? When you actually can look at somebody who's really hurt you, and there's not the pain or the sting um, of of that offense in you anymore. I'm not taking, not saying it happens overnight, but when God leads you to that place, and you actually can look at your offender, and not only bless them, but love them and pray for them. Corey Timboom, who was a part of the Nazi concentration camp scene in World War II, talks about, uh, uh, and also was. Uh, um, imprisoned talks about seeing her oppressor, one of the slave, one of the prison guards who was a torturing prison guard at one of her revi- one of her her revival meetings that she was sharing her testimony at after the war. She sees this man in the audience, and she recognizes him, and she recognizes immediately in her heart that God had borne forgiveness. And mercy towards this man because she was free, but she could tell that he was still under torment because he was not free from all the bad things he had done. And so, at the end of the service, she's she's a part of an altar call, inviting people to give their lives to Jesus. And multiple people are coming down, and she's praying for people or whatever. And then she sees this man get out of the seat and walk towards her. This tall, intimidating German brutal, hate-filled man. At least that's how she knew him. And he walked down, and he looked at her, and she, by by the accounts of who she was, she was a short lady, and he was a tall man, and she looked down at him. He looked down at her, excuse me. And he says, you talk about forgiveness. But you couldn't. began to cry. He began to weep. Under the revelation that everything awful and terrible that he had done could be forgiven by this woman who he was one of her torturers. And then she said, not only Deserve Christ? No. Do you deserve Christ? No. But did God's love stretch through a dark, despicable cavern of hate and murder and shame? Absolutely. And He forgave this man. But the door to this man's forgiveness was the forgiveness of Corey. We are at war. Let our words and our actions and our responses be filled with the love of Christ. Would you stand up?